0: self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague.
1: Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 56 for Monday the 27th of March 2017. My guest today is Angela Marsons who discovered her love of writing at primary school. She began to enter short story competitions in writer's news resulting in a win and three shortlisted entries. Angela self-published two of her earlier works before concentrating on her true passion, crime. After many, many submissions, she signed an eight-book deal with Bookature as their first crime author. On the day I interviewed Angie, it had just been announced that she'd broken the two million sales mark. Understandably, she was absolutely delighted by the news.
2: It's just not a number I can even comprehend. I think, as it said in the press release, you know, Oliver Rhodes asked me, you know, what my expectations were, you know, when we started this journey. And I think I said, you know, I'd I'd be thrilled to be to 500 people. Um, bought and read Silent Scream. Um, I just wanted the opportunity, you know, to share my work. That's all I'd ever been after. So everything that's happened from there has just been one surprise after another, really. So it's been it's been quite an eventful two
1: years, I, I must say. <laughs> I can't even contemplate two million ebooks. I mean, it's just a huge no. number. <laughs> no, it, it, it is, um,
2: you know, I mean. Oliver, he's absolutely amazing. I mean, sometime last year he said to me, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could sell two million, you know, by the anniversary of Silent Scream? And I did laugh, and I laughed, and I really did laugh, and I should have known better (laughs) because obviously that's what's happened. So, you know, he just showed once again. Um, you know, he knows exactly what he's talking about, but I, I probably won't laugh at him again,
1: to be fair. <laughs> well, well let, let's dig into the very long and tortuous and winding journey to that amazing success because it all started. I feel like, um, was it Eamon Andrews on This Is Your Life? Yes, it, is. it all <laughs> you got started, Angie, <laughs> back at primary school, all it, those years ago, when you it, wrote a short piece on the rocks of the sea, and it got you a merit point. You've got slightly more than that today, haven't you?
2: Slightly more, but that is actually what happened, because um, everybody was asked to write a story about their holiday, and I hadn't been on holiday, so I didn't really know what to write about. So I did just imagine, you know, the the, the rocks and the sea, and this this story just started to come to me. And when I got an A and a merit point, I was just so proud. <laughs> it was, oh, I, I think I've actually still got the piece. Um, but that was sort of like when I really discovered that I just loved this this activity of putting words together and seeing what, you know, what I could make. And when somebody actually liked what I'd done, it was like, oh, that's quite cool. I'll, I'll do this some more. Um, and then I just I just carried on, you know, from, from then just loving words and, and just seeing what I could do um you know to 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 make up stories i would um my, my dad laughs about this now but i would offer make up stories about my dad having left us just so that i could explore how i felt about it i'd be in absolute tears crying my eyes and he'd only gone to the pub. (laughs) You know, I would just pretend that he'd gone just so I could explore how I felt about the whole situation. I didn't tell him that until recently. He did did think it was
1: very funny. That's excellent. So many of the authors I talk to, um, when they started as young as you did, they were often put off by experiences at school and and it stopped them writing for some reason It stopped that creativity that you have when you're really young I take it you you pushed through that and you didn't have any discouragement at that level
2: um it wasn't that I didn't have discouragement I didn't particularly have encouragement because um it's 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 a strange one but the street I came from you learnt to type and that, that was, you know, the aspirations that you had was to get, we're going back some now, I'm going to show my age, but, you know, a, a job as a secretary. And that was sort of like the aspirations and the career goals at school were targeted towards that. So I did, I took typing. I'm glad now I did because I can do the second draft and, you know, the editing much quicker. Um, but I did do typing and office practice and commerce. And it, to be fair, it did serve me well, but you weren't, It wasn't a realistic expectation that you were going to do something like be an author or, you know, write for a living or anything like that. So it was it was a a hobby. It was something to, you know, to do when you weren't working in in the office.
1: So what were you writing then in your early days? We've transitioned from from school and you're a a young teenager stroke 20s. What, What were you writing then?
2: Probably short stories at that stage, um, and probably my early twenties. I started to send short stories off uh, to submission to magazines. Um, the People's Friend. They probably used to get one one a week, or possibly two a week from me. Some <laughs> weeks, if I was feeling particularly keen. Um, Woman's Weekly, Bella, Chat, those kinds of things. And I would just go to the post office and send off about fifteen envelopes, and you know, just hope for the best. Um, so that was probably my early twenties, and then probably mid to late twenties, I started um, at my first novel, which is now called *The Forgotten Woman*, um, and that that is now published with Bookature as well. Um, and when I did actually get to the end of ninety thousand words, it was like, "Oh wow, <laughs> how did that happen?" <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I was I was probably doing novels by the time late twenties.
1: So when you were doing the the sort of magazine short stories, I'm, I'm sure I got something published in Old Codgers or something. Was it People's Friend, the Old Codgers page or something? I'm sure, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I had a go at that many years ago too. Um, did you ever get? Did you get anything published at all? In no,
2: days? I got one story as far as the editor's desk, which I thought was absolutely amazing, but then it still came back as a no. Oh, no. <laughs> so- really? Yeah, but uh, no, never had one published. I won one competition in Writers' News stroke writing magazine, um, which was an amazing experience. Um, but other than that, no, nothing.
1: So were you getting any feedback in those days? Was anybody you know, giving you any guidance, or were you just taking pot shots, effectively?
2: Taking pot shots, but... Um, With the Writer's News, they had a monthly monthly competition and I would enter it. And I I had quite a few shortlistings, which did give me encouragement to carry on. Um, But primarily my encouragement has, has come from my partner of 30 years who has never failed in her faith and said, you know, you can do it. Keep going. Just keep going. Even at the worst days. You know, it was keep going, keep going, keep going. You can do it. It's their loss. It's their loss. You will succeed. And as I say, that that's been my biggest source of encouragement and inspiration. To
1: be fair. So when you started to move from the shorter items to to that first ninety thousand, it's quite a, quite a jump, isn't it, to go to ninety thousand words? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what what what? How long did you? What was the longest thing you'd written when you made the jump to ninety?
2: Probably about a four and a half thousand.
1: Word short story. Oh, my goodness, that is a jump.
2: It, it is, and it was, I didn't, I probably didn't think I was going to get to the end, but there was, it, the story was just burning inside me to to be told. And it was once I started to write it, I didn't, because I was doing it on, you know, A4 pads with pencils, I didn't really have a clue how many words I was writing. I didn't have a computer then. Um, so I just kept scribbling scribbling and scribbling, and when I realised I'd told the story, I filled about four, four exercise books, and it, it, it was a complete story. Wow. <laughs> so I was very surprised.
1: It's <laughs> very interesting, though, because, you know, the, uh, four and a half thousand words is, is a much different prospect to 90,000 words. And, you know, mo- mo- most posh writers would say, oh, you know, you need to be plotting, lovey, and go on a writer's retreat for something like that. Uh, but, Bridget, did you do that? Did you do any plotting, or did, it just, did you have the story and you just went for it? I just went for it
2: um because i i didn't because i didn't have really any clue about uh, plotting and pace i just which was a good thing to be fair because what i did was just tell the story that i wanted to tell so i wasn't actually bogged down by technicalities it was just this is what i want to say at the time i was doing it for no one but myself so there was no editor or critic sitting on my shoulder i was just doing it because i wanted to do it um, it was when I got to the end and realised it was a full story. Then I went back and started looking at pace um, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, that was many years in the making <laughs> mm. <laughs> until we got to the point where it was actually, you know, in a position to to submit. And, I mean, it got rejected, as, as did they all, but that, it was a very good learning experience in, you know, actually tightening, throwing throwing away, you know, just abandoning things that don't work, not being precious. Lots of things were learned with that
1: first book. Knowing what you know now, how do you view that book? You know, was it a pretty good first effort for 90,000 words?
2: I think so. And I think, as I say, what I learned from the experience, I try and remember back to how I felt writing that book, and that was with freedom. Um, because I didn't have any expectations of it, because there was nobody, you know, expecting anything. Now I have people waiting and there are expectations, but I still try and play in that same sandpit, if you like, and try and forget, you know, the expectations um, while I'm writing the first draft. And I remember how it felt when I was writing that book. And if I can get to that stage you know, of, of enjoyment and just complete ignorance of everything that's going on around me, then I know that it's it's working. I know that I'm in that, that what we call the magic playground and the house could simply burn down around me and I wouldn't notice.
1: <laughs> and were you always writing crime, Angie? You know, write
2: from those magazine stories? No, I was too frightened to write crime. It's what I've always liked to read, but I never thought that I could do the plotting and the pacing that was needed for crime. So my first two completed books uh, were more relationship, um, psychological uh, stories, really. Saga, I suppose you'd call, call them, really. And then I just had to give it a go and fully expected to, you know, hit a wall probably around twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 words. Because again, I didn't plot it or plan it. I just had an idea and started writing it. And then again, I got sort of like 80, 85,000 words, and thought, "Oh my goodness, we have a novel." And what I learned from that experience was, it for me, the plotting and planning doesn't work, and I go with a, a vague idea and let it let it grow as it as I'm writing it, really, because ideas come and creativity comes as I'm actually writing the story. And so I'll be writing it and then I'll make a note, oh, that storyline could come off that storyline, or, you know, there's a clue there I could leave for such and such, or, oh, there's a whole new storyline over there. And I'll leave myself lots of notes. And that's the process that keeps me going through 90,000 words, is the things that surprise me, rather than me knowing everything from the very beginning. I tried that once. I got to about four chapters and, and threw the thing in the bin because I was so bored. There was nothing left for me to discover in the story at all.
1: I'm so pleased you said that because I've tried endlessly to plot and I just, I, I, it's just boring. I, I, you know The book needs to be a bit of discovery and is exciting for you, doesn't it? I think you need to find the excitement while you're writing.
2: To me, it's the difference between writing a book or reciting a yes. book. I actually felt like I was writing lines like you did at school for detention, because I knew everything that was going to happen. And it was like, but there's no surprise left for me. Mm. And if I'm not enjoying it, surely somebody who's reading it isn't going to enjoy it either.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's very interesting and reassuring to hear that, Angie. Well done. Thank you. That's <laughs> Uh, So so now I I know that you've had experience in the police because we we get when we start to write crime, you get into all this procedural stuff and and you've got all the kind of techies there saying, oh, we didn't do that right or that that wouldn't have happened. But I believe you've had a, a bit of a career, I say in the police, but working with the police.
2: Yeah, I was a security manager at Malag um, Shopping Centre for quite some time. I worked there for 19 years in total, and we worked alongside the police. Mm. And I do have the PACE um, manual <laughs> beside me most of the time.
1: So this is the and Police I- and Criminal Evidence Act uh, yeah. guide, isn't it, or the, the rules, yes. basically? Yes,
2: and I, I do have that and a little pocket yeah. version, um, and I do research everything. But I do, I do believe that you can get bogged down in the procedure. I I could spend hours researching, you know, the very tiny detail of every procedure, but if it doesn't add anything to the story or it slows it down, then it might be accurate, but it might also not be that interesting. It's enough to say that, you know, they took a statement or that they conducted an interview. Um, I don't sort of like need to go through the pace can find out what regulations you know they adhered to the whole time they were doing it because that's not going to benefit the reader at all they just want to know what the interview is about and what the detective might get out of it or you know what they're going to learn so i like to have the detail but i think you just have to be careful how much you use um because the reader's not that interested in how much you know about the detail and how much you know about the process, there it's just what's applicable to the story at that time,
1: yeah, absolutely. You you know, you can get bogged down in the detail, and as you say, we just want a great read and an exciting story is what we're after, really. And so long as you don't make too many gaffes,
2: you know, yeah. terrible gaffes
1: in that, it, you know, you, you're fine, I think, aren't you? Yes, yeah. So, we've we've done the we've done lots of magazine. Uh, submissions you, we, we've moved to the 90k books tell me about when you started to um, submit those and what sort of uh, feedback and process you then went through while you were trying to get published
2: um i i used to get a lot of decent feedback um you don't you treat every bit of feedback like gold because we you know as as aspiring writers we know that um editors and agents are incredibly busy and, you know know the amount of submissions that land on their desk so anything that comes back you know is is treasured you, you know you, you absolutely hang on to it um but i think it's <laughs> Sometimes you you can be sent in a different direction and somebody might come back and say, oh, I think you need to change this character completely or you need to change this completely. And your gut might not agree with it. And I think you always have to trust your gut. And over that period of time, I would sometimes be given some advice and I would immediately know if that felt felt right. Um, But a lot of times the response was, Um, we like it, we just don't love it. And often the books I was sending were, you know, being considered, and I was asked for the full manuscript a number of times, but the response was still always the same, we like it, we just don't love it enough to really get behind it, which in some ways is worse than, do you know what, we hate (laughs) it.
1: Yes, at least you can
2: start again, can't you? I was that close, my book was, you know, being passed around by you know, marketing people and all sorts of people, and they still said no. So sometimes it's like tantalizingly close. Um, but yeah, that, that that was the response really for, for many, many years.
1: So, how did you keep going during that then? I mean, because, well, you obviously got a lot of enjoyment from the writing, but was the end goal for you always to be published, or was it just enough to get the pleasure from writing?
2: It was always the dream. It was always the dream to share. Um, My work, it was always the dream to write for a living, whether or not that was a realistic dream at the time. It it, it didn't feel that it was a realistic dream, but it was a dream nonetheless, shall I say. But I did just enjoy the process of writing. And I think it's a situation where if that's what you love, you can't not do it. Um even if, you know, you, you know that nothing's going to come of it, if it's who you are, you have to keep doing it. <laughs> even if you then say to yourself, Do you know, I'm not going to submit anymore because that's just too painful. But I must continue writing because the thoughts are still in my head, whether I'm being published or not. The ideas for stories are still there um, and they have to come out um you know so I would have continued to to write regardless I mean I used to write around going to work you know get up in the morning and do it come back from work carry on do some more just because that's what would get me through the day at work is the idea that you know I could come home and pick up a pencil and and go back into that world
1: and did you ever get to the stage when you thought you know I've had enough of submitting these now I I am just going to write for myself
2: Yes, once or twice. And um there's sometimes, you know, I'd have to take a, a step back. But as I, I've mentioned my partner, she's she, she's quite devious and she would often say, Oh, just go and sit at your writing table. Don't pick up a pencil, just sit there. So I would. And then I'd see a pencil. It just would find it way into my hand and strangely enough there'd be a notepad there and she'd say, No, don't just sit there, just enjoy the feeling of sitting there, knowing full well, but presented with a pencil and a pad, you know, there's, it was a no-brainer. M- my hand was just going to pick it up and start scribbling something, um, and and that was how it, she used to sort of try and ease me back into it, and make me remember what I loved in the first place, which was pretty much putting words together. And she would never let me forget what I loved about the process.
1: It's very interesting that you say you've got such, or you've had such great support. Um, from your partner, I mean, it sounds to me like that's the magic ingredient that's kept you going through, you know, through all of this.
2: It is. Um, she she will never understand her significance and importance in the process, um, but I do, and many other people around us do, because there are times when I would have s- certainly stopped submitting, um, but then we'd get to the end of another story and she would read it and she'd say, you know, maybe try this one maybe try maybe this is the one and she would always get that fire going again well maybe it is let's give it a try (laughs) Mm. so yeah she she, she's a devious piece of work Paul let me tell you
1: yeah but how lovely to have somebody cheering you on from the (laughs) sidelines isn't it that's lovely absolutely that's uh, so important I think because I mean a lot of people write in isolation and don't have that lovely support so uh, you know I think that's very very lucky that you've got that very very so um, you keep. You, I'm really interested in this because you keep talking about uh, using a pencil to write. But you know, it is. It, it is the 21st century. Are, are you are you banging these things out on a computer just yet? Are you still writing by pencil? You still composing the originals on pencil?
2: Absolutely. The wow. first draft is still pencils and A4 notepads. I have tried to do it directly onto the computer, um, and I sit there just looking at an empty screen. I find that far more intimidating than the pencil and paper, because I think there's something that must connect in my brain when my hand is scribbling across the page, because my hand can't keep up, but it loves to try, Mm. Um, and I think, I, I know it sounds silly, but I love the sound of the pencil scratching across the paper. And that, that is another memory from, you know, my childhood that I absolutely loved that sound and the feel of that. And it's almost like once the pencil reaches the paper, that's what connects to my creativity. Um, and then the second draft. I mean, I, I, I say that, you know, I type it up. But actually, now my partner types that <laughs> one for me. And then I get, you know, straight on to working on the Next draft of it. So we've got a bit of teamwork going on. But I have to keep that first process um, exactly the same because it's the only thing that works for
1: me. But then, you know, you could never tell youngsters this, but the composition process when you're writing that number of words on a piece of paper, I mean, you know, I used to do it in the old days when I was a student, but the composition process is completely different when you're writing by hand to what when you're writing on a PC, because on a PC you can chop and change stuff and it's very easy to manipulate. I mean, even counting your words, for instance, is is, is a completely, it's a huge job, isn't it, when you're doing it by hand?
2: Yeah. I I just normally uh, estimate at 200... um, words per um page and I can tell if if the fire is going. Uh, my handwriting changes drastically. If 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 I'm feeling the the creative it just goes all over the place. My writing gets much bigger and much scrawlier because I'm not really paying attention. I'm just getting the words down. If my writing is very very neat and very small that's not that's probably going to get binned at some stage, because it means I wasn't properly feeling it. Um, mm. It gets much bigger and much scrawlier, because I just want to get the words down on paper before they disappear.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier that you, you didn't have an editor. Um, now, now you're a posh author and you've sold two million books. Do, <laughs> do, do you have to go through, you know, all that kind of process where people are all picking over your books?
2: I've got one editor, because uh, I don't have an agent, so must uh, must books go straight to my editor, keshni at Booker Chua, who has worked with me now for years. Um, she was um, the reader at the agency that I did get picked up by and she worked so hard um, alongside, you know, the rest of the team there to sell my work and it didn't work and, you know, we parted ways. But she actually never forgot about the stories and it was at the worst point in you know, our lives, myself, and my partner, that suddenly um she submitted Silent Scream to Booker on my behalf and um <laughs> that that just came from nowhere. Uh, but she she hadn't forgotten the stories and um you know next thing I know um they're saying what other ideas have you got and that was just unbelievable.
1: Let me just wind back a little bit, because I want to go into Bookature in detail, because they are um, the new kids on the block in, in <laughs> digital publishing, and they're doing some amazing things, as they as they have done yeah. with you. Um, but let, let me just talk about this um, experience of having or being connected to an agency. Um, so you submitted your books, and then you, you got this early bite for, for, from an agency. What happened there, and what was that experience like?
2: Um it was it was initially it was a very positive experience. As I say Keshni was the, the reader there and she contacted me. Um initially it was very, very positive. Um but when the books failed to sell um and we parted company it that was kind of dropping further from a great height because it really felt as though I'd had my shot. And if an agent couldn't sell my work, then really, you know, there was no hope for the ultimate dream. Um, and so that was the lowest point in many ways, definitely creatively, financially, um, from a confidence point of view. It was it was just done. <laughs> so working with Kesnay was the highlight of that two years because again I learned a lot um, from her guidance. So, you know, when when she did contact me, it was amazing to hear from her. Um but yes, yeah, so I would say it was mixed. It, it it was positive, but um when 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 we parted ways it, it it hurt. It hurt a lot. <laughs>
1: The other thing I must ask you about is, um I mean, it's interesting because you've been writing for so long. Self-publishing hadn't been invented, you know, when you started writing originally, and then self-publishing came along. I know you had a brief skirmish with self-publishing. Could you talk to me about how you, you got involved in that and, and how that went for you? Yes,
2: yes. What I, as I could tell that the relationship with the agent was um, coming to an end. Um, so I decided to, you know, I'd read a lot about um, the Amazon KDP Program and I thought, well, you know, why not? So I chose a couple of the novels that I'd had quite a bit of positive feedback um, from when they had been out on submission, and I published those through Amazon. And I didn't really know what I was doing with, you know, design or, or anything like that. Um, but had a few sales. Um, but what what happened when the Kim Stone stories took off. A lot of people then discovered them by accident because I didn't market them or mention them at all because I didn't want people to become confused, you know, between the crime stories and those other two books. Um, But I was happy for people to discover them if they happened to, but I didn't market them or mention them at all. But I think that the Amazon uh, KDP program is amazing. And I would encourage anybody to use it.
1: So, when you when you did that, were you just uh, you know uploading a Word file and and slapping a cover on it and, and hoping for the best, or, or, or... absolutely? Yeah, yeah, re- <laughs> that's, really basic. that's
2: exactly what I did.
1: Yeah. Well, that that is it. it's it's most basic level, and that's why it's so empowering. I always think.
2: I think so, and I think that you know I've, there's criticism for the program, but for me, it was an incredibly positive experience because. Amazon enabled me to start sharing my work before any of this happened. And although it wasn't great sales and I didn't know how to advertise or or do marketing, it was still that a few people a month were buying something that I'd written and weren't asking for a refund. And to me, that was a triumph. (laughs) Yeah,
1: those refunds (laughs) were real (laughs) insult, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> me. So, yeah, I was with that, to be fair. <laughs> and what, what year was this? I'm just trying to get the, the chronology right.
2: Um, that would have
1: been 2013, 2014. Oh, right, on the cusp of your, your success yes. then. Wow. Yes. Wow, fantastic. And are they still floating around online or have they been removed now?
2: They have been republished, um, given facelifts, made pretty, re-edited and are now published by Book
1: Couture as well fantastic that's good now, i tell you what i am interested in because um because you you've been in that zone where people have rejected those books and yet, yet here you are those books are now you know selling by the bucket load um a lot of people feel that when they write books they're just not good enough but when you get that momentum that you've you obviously got now you know you're well away um all of a sudden these books are the best things since sliced bread um, how does that feel uh, f- for you, that sudden that turnaround when you know, no everybody was sticking their nose up at it or, or not publishing them, then all of a sudden they're the greatest thing that anybody's ever read?
2: Yeah, I think what I am, I see that now. I, I'm actually very grateful um, that, you know, it's turned out the way it has. Um, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And the right fit for me is the book of your fit. Um it really, really works for me. Um, so I'm I'm kinda glad nothing happened before Booker Joe were in place, you know, so about them being, you know, uh young and and, and new. I'm kinda pleased that, you know, all, if everything that's that had to happen led to this, that's okay because, you know, I wouldn't wish to do this with any other team. So I actually think it all happened for a reason. <laughs>
1: And, and you went through some pretty tight times before this. You know, I'm just reading the bookature article today that's been released to celebrate your two millionth sale. Let's just, ta- <laughs> let's just take a gasp at that again. But, you know, once again, cause it's just amazing. And so you've been made redundant from a job of 19 years. Um, your yeah. partner's recovering from major surgery. Um, you've been turned down for a job in an Amazon warehouse. Um, yeah. and then you're having to sell belongings. I mean, wow, talk about nick of time. That's exactly, and it is absolutely no
2: exaggeration. That's exactly where we were. I would spend the day on the websites um, like Indeed, Read, Total Jobs, all of those. And then I would spend the whole day doing that. I would go to bed, and Julie, my partner, would stay up during the night to catch any new ones that came in while I was sleeping. And then she would have a list of any new ones in the morning, and then she would get some sleep. And we were literally doing a 24-hour watch of um, the job sites <laughs> and mm. that's how bad it was but we borrowed money from family members and we were selling our possessions um, to make the mortgage payment so I just secured a job working not 12 hour night shifts um, when I got the call from Kishney. Um and that's kind of why it was very strange because I got the call and I was kind of like Oh, that's nice. Mm. And I couldn't be excited because there was so much disappointment, you know, leading up to up to that point. I dared not hope for anything more. It was I've got a job. You know, we were gonna be able to keep the house. And it was like nothing nothing else could can happen. So it'll be the same response as always. It will be we like it, we just don't love it. So I kind of couldn't allow myself to hope at that point, so it was just I just carried on going to work, working my night shifts, and you know w- waited for the inevitable.
1: <laughs> and and I, I bet, I mean, of there. I mean, they haven't been around for very long, have they? But they would have been very new then, wouldn't they, when, when they contacted you?
2: Yes, they would. I think just a couple of years old at that point. Mm. Um, but yes, I mean, when when they did contact me just a few days later, it was to ask you know, um what other ideas I had. And it was at that point that I thought, oh hang on, I'm 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 reading this email and I'm looking for the butt mm. and I can't find the butt. Where's the butt? Um and I was I was looking hard for it, but it was just like, you know, loving silent screen, what others, you know, have you got? And because of being with the agency, two two books were already written, which was Evil Games and Lost Girls. Mm. Um, so they were ready. So, uh, you know, when I had three books published in a year, people would say, I don't know, are you writing three books a year? And I was like, I'm really not. These are, you know, I've been writing these for a few years now. Um, and so I couldn't reply to that email quickly enough, you know, of all the ideas that, you know, I've got for the kimstone stories. And literally a week later, um, they asked me to sign for four books, which was amazing. <laughs> that was a dream call.
1: <laughs> so a four book deal then. And, and now you see everything's a little bit different about Bookature isn't it? Because they're primarily a digital publisher, but they do put versions out on, on print on demand. They don't do the kind of the, the posh sort of Richard and Judy kind of uh, paperback. I think they put them on print on demand, but you're probably having posh ones put out by now, aren't you?
2: Well, I'm still yeah. <laughs> well, it gets a bit complicated yeah. now. Um, so I signed for four books and then when Silent Scream Came out and did you know what it did, which nobody was expecting, least of all me. Um, I started to get a lot of contact from obviously traditional publishers and agents um, wanting to know how many books I was signed for with Bookachua. And Bookachua asked me at that point if I'd like to sign for four more, and I absolutely wanted to sign for more with Bookachua. Because uh, to me, loyalty is very, very important. They had given me an opportunity, and I've said to Oliver, and you know, I still say it to him, I'm not going anyway, which is why I'm now signed for 16 books. Wow. Um, because I've told him that he will have to remove me by using security or false <laughs> or, you know, because I'm not going. Um, and then I had a call from Oliver saying that Bonnier were interested in a print deal. And I thought he was trying to give me away. And I said, is this a good thing? I don't really get it. I didn't think this happened. He said, well, it doesn't normally. And it is a good thing. And, yes, we're very happy with it. So, you know, that we went ahead with uh, the first three books, with a print deal with, with Bonnie, which has been absolutely fantastic, you know, in getting, you know, the books out to the supermarkets and bookshops as well. Uh, literally just released Evil Games a couple of days ago, and Lost Girls will be later this year. <laughs> so it's, the books are sort of like out there as well as being available online, which is another dream come
1: true. Uh, that's fantastic. You know, when you're in the bookshops and the, the supermarkets, you really know you've made it, don't you? They're, they're, that's amazing. <laughs> it's a fantastic feeling. How does it feel, then, to have the traditional publishers who spurred you for so long, now banging at the door?
2: Um, i it, 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 it was I was flattered. I was flattered. It was it was very nice, but I knew that I didn't want to change publishers. Um again for, you know, as I've already, or, already said, loyalty is very important. Booker Chill gave me a chance, but it fits. Um I love I don't have an agent. And I absolutely, you know, don't need an agent because I've got, you know, I'm an email away from the publicity manager, from my editor, from Oliver himself. There's never been a time where I've tried to contact any one of them and they've not contacted me back. I get direct answers. Everything is transparent. So I don't need, you know, any other person in between me and that it works and i really wouldn't want to be with anybody else it's not complicated it's all it's all very simple and that's that's fine for me i prefer simple
1: <laughs> ah, but you know what's coming next you've got the tv series coming next or the films <laughs> so i mean you know that people must the, the vultures must have started to circle because you've got a great character here you know you're in the supermarkets you've sold 2 million 2 million books for goodness <laughs> really? sake Really? yeah 2 million um, you know it's it's phenomenal so all this is this is going to happen but you know whether, whether it's started yet or not uh, and then and we, we must get into foreign language rights and audio deals and things like that how how does all that fit in um the agency
2: called lorella Belly um works with Bookature and sells foreign rights um for the bookature authors that certainly like myself who don't have an independent agent um and she has sold the books to uh more than 20 countries wow so yes i i, I, I <laughs> it does actually say in the article i can't remember all of them off the top of my head <laughs> bless her because she's a terrier she's fierce um and yes she she works really really hard and the exciting thing is now that we have the foreign publishers coming back for more um italy uh which has been by far uh the best response i get so many messages from italian readers it's amazing they've signed for more books and that's it it's lovely to get the foreign deals but it's more exciting when they're coming back because that's an indication that, you know, the books are selling and that people are enjoying the books and, and buying the next in the series and the next in the series. Um, so that that is that is really exciting. But Lorella is also, because Booker Chua don't have any um, sort of like involvement in film or TV, Lorella also represents me in that area as well independently um, of Booker Chua um but i've never been that bothered about tv or film because my passion is to to write the books And that's my dream, is to just keep writing the books. I know that might sound strange,
1: but I just want to write the books. (laughs) Ah, the TV's coming next. You heard it here first as an exclusive. Uh, I bet you the TV are banging on the door within the year. Or or film rights. It'll it'll be one or other. Do you you travel abroad? Have you had that wonderful experience of seeing your books on, on foreign shelves yet?
2: No, not not yet, um, just due to normally health reasons and for, for various reasons. But I do get lots of photos and I do get, you know, lots of videos of, of the books and where they are and the promotions, so i I do tend to know what's going on, which is absolutely lovely. I get lots of readers that actually send me photos of the books out in the wild as
1: well, <laughs> yeah I mean that's just wonderful, isn't it? It's just what you know you sitting at your desk with a pencil and pad, and yeah. then all those people can access it. How incredible is that? It must feel wonderful,
2: oh, I love it, but I mean, I love the messages that I get you know some some Uh, you know sort of like telling me off for something but the majority um, are just saying you know that they love the character and 99% of them are quite demanding which is when's the next Uh you know which is uh, that's great but I do get some absolutely fantastic messages Um, and that is a huge perk of the job having that direct interaction with people actually reading the books so that's only something i could have
1: dreamed of to be fair i love it you're looking at your goodreads accounts i'm just looking at the, the the numbers of ratings you've got here 15,198 i know i know, <laughs> 15, I, know. I know but it's i
2: mean goodreads it's you know It it can be quite brutal over there sometimes because it is a review site and, you know, they are quite honest. But there's so much support there as well. I get some lovely messages from the Goodreads um, account. People sending me direct messages and just the comments and the
1: reviews are over there. Just amazing. How do you feel with with all this success? Do do, do the bad reviews still hurt? Do they they ever go away or, or do you just ignore them?
2: Um, for the most part, I do ignore them. The first couple hurt and I did expect it because I'm quite a sensitive person most times. So I did expect it to really hurt. Um, but then I kind of, un- I do understand that you're not going to please everybody. I think the only ones that, you know, can get you down are the ones that appear to be deliberately nasty. If somebody's commenting on they didn't like this, they didn't like that, then that's fine, completely, you know, accept that. But some people can actually be quite scathing and brutal, and it just makes you think, I'm not sure why you needed to do that. Do you know what I mean? So that, that can sometimes be upsetting. But then I follow somebody else's advice, which is, you know, go back and read a couple of the five stars, and, you know, then you just remember you know, that the majority of people do do actually, you know, enjoy what you do. So they don't bother me as much anymore now. I accept that people, you know, have their own opinion. Not everybody's going to like what you do.
1: So that's fine. Well, you, I mean, your reviews on Goodreads, I mean, Goodreads is, is well known that, you know, generally you want to go a star <laughs> down, don't you, on, on Goodreads? Knock a star off before yeah. you even get started. Yet you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, that's and, happened to me. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're, but you're doing pretty well even on Goodreads. You know, they're amazing. You know, they're all well in the fours.
2: But but I had I had one star reviewers on a book that hadn't even left my computer. Oh, for goodness. Sake. It hadn't even gone to my editor yet, so okay. I was like, Oh, I'm not sure how that can happen. But you know, I got over it. Um and it was fine. But now it's it's uh,
1: it is quite supportive, but it can't be brutal over there. Yeah, well you should just be impervious to it now. Two million ebooks you've done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing can touch you now. It's it's, it's just amazing. So um let me just dig into when you, when you write. You know, a lot of people have, um, you know, they sit for a number of hours a day and get a number of words done and things like that. Do, do you have a process or do you, you seem to just be fairly creative and just let it flow?
2: I do my my favourite times to write I think are uh, sort of like early morning and late and late at night because it's that intimacy as though there's sort of like you there's nobody else around and the world's asleep or it hasn't woken up yet so those are my favourite times times to write um but we we sort of like if if I've got the feeling and you know there's ideas coming I'll just write until you know until I drop really you know it's not unusual to write all through the night if, if you know, if the feeling is there um, and then just get a few hours sleep <laughs> you know, and I just really can't write anymore um, but yeah, so we Julie, we do, do, my partner, she'll be like Shall I watch another film then? I'm like, yeah, for another film on me. And <laughs> um, she, she'll just make a cup of coffee, you know, make me a cup of coffee. And that's it. She's, she's back to her horror films
1: and I just crack on, <laughs> so to speak. And do you write with her in the room? Do you, do you write together or do you have to go away uh, you know, to concentrate?
2: I'm in the dining room um, at the dining table and she's in the living room. And when, <clears throat> excuse me, when um, I'm actually writing, she'll put the headphones on. So that it it is reasonably quiet to um to write. But
1: hang on, so, you've sold two million ebooks, isn't she At the other end of the mansion now? No, <laughs> no, no. She, she's just in the next room. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping the parrot quiet,
2: to be fair. <laughs> he so, likes to swear at me a lot.
1: So real life goes on, does it?
2: Oh, yes, real life goes on. But once I get in that zone, like I say, she she could have the television on, you know, um, blaring and I, I, I probably wouldn't even notice. But no, she'll sit there with the headphones on for hours and just, you know, scare herself with Most Haunted or something like that. So... She's uh,
1: she's dead good, and she will make a coffee as well. <laughs> <laughs> your um, your your s- sudden turnaround and success isn't it? Isn't quite a- overnight, but in terms of your experience with bookerure, it, it is almost overnight. I mean, you must be you must be reeling from this. You know, it really is going from almost zero to to a hundred miles per hour for you.
2: It it is, but of course, we were just talking about this um, the other day. Actually, um, we. Me and Julie, we force ourselves every day to remember just how bad it was um, because you have to keep grounded and you have to stay grateful and you have to stay realistic. And we will never, ever forget how bad things were because if you do, then you can't appreciate how good things are now. And we appreciate it every single day. Um, the fact that, you know, I'll walk from the living room saying, you know, I'm off to work now, Jules, and she'll say, Mind the traffic. <laughs> you know. Hope you help you, you know, you get there in time and you know, the fact that I only have to walk to the dining table to do work and the fact that it doesn't feel like work, it does feel like I'm still just doing something that I, I love to do. And that's why it does feel such an honour and privilege because it doesn't feel like work. I still love what I do. Um Every single day,
1: but does does the pressure increase a little bit? You know, for instance, you've got your four book or your new four four book. We got sixteen books, sorry, now, isn't it? With, with <laughs> um, do, Are you on a Are they pacing you with that? You know, do you have to churn one out every three months or something like that?
2: No, we do two books a year, um, so it's a six month it's a six month turnaround, which it, it does actually work really, really well. Um, so I'm currently now waiting for the edits of book six. Um, but while I'm waiting for the edits of book six, I've started work on book seven. When the edits come back, I'll simply put book seven aside for as long as it takes to do the edits, get them sent back um, to Keshne, pick up book seven again. And all, all the to and fro will be done within the first three months. And so I have the second three months to just properly concentrate on book seven. And, and then we start all over again. I know, uh, yes,
1: until book sixteen, and, and the yeah. next sixteen book deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm interested in you sticking with a with a single character because you have written, um, you know, standalone books before. But but Di Kim Stone is is the character that's taken for you. Are these sixteen books going to be Di Kim Stone, or do you have flexibility within that to to explore new um, areas?
2: I think there will all there will all be di Kimstone but there will be the opportunity to um, explore the other characters within the team. Um, you know, because they they have more to give as well. So I think there will always be some Kim, but there's certainly the opportunity to you know bring the others to the forefront a little bit more and, and find a bit more about their stories as we go through the series. But yeah, Kim will always be there. I think Marie's would kill me if she wasn't. Yes. I might I may get lynched. Um but like I say, you know, she may take um the occasional step back and let somebody else come to the fore a little bit. We've got enough books to explore
1: that option. <laughs> mm. But but what's it like though to be to stick with a character like that? Because you you said that you don't you're not a big planner. You know, and most people would say, Oh yes, I've got a character arc until book sixteen, you know, all sorted out. How how do you keep that Uh, character development going across the books when you don't have that, well, I assume you don't have a character arc for her, do you?
2: No. I I literally go from book to book because she she is the character that I want to write about. Um, And I just take it one one book at a time. If I feel like a certain development, you know, like when, when I gave her a dog, it felt like the right time to let her have an emotional connection to something. Um, so I'd just go book by book, really, and, and see what feels right for that particular journey that she's on. Um, and we just we just take it from there, really. There's no huge plan for her. Um, it's just about, you know, solving cases and giving the reader an entertaining journey as we go.
1: And what is it that you get from Bookature? I was at the, uh, the writing festival, Festival of Writing in York. And, uh, this year, Bookature were, you know, the, the sensation. They were the talking, uh, point of, of the whole, um, affair. And, and everybody was getting very excited about this brand new model. And, you know, people like you were discussing, It's where I heard your name, um, you know, for the first time in the context of, of Bookature and how well you were, you were selling at that point. What, what is it that they're doing that's, that's different that is so successful? Because it's really flying, isn't it?
2: I think it's, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think Oliver likes to do, especially with the series, is capitalise on people's um, interest in the series. Um, when Silent Screen came out and did so well, because Evil Games was already written, we we were able to, you know, get that available pretty quickly so all of the people that enjoy Silent Screen could go straight on to Evil Games and then the same with Lost Girls and so we try and keep that momentum of people not having to wait 12 to 18 months for the next book you know, and then another 12 to 18 months for the book after that, which especially with a series, you really don't want your readers to start forgetting about your main character you know, um I get so many messages from people who are totally invested in Kim. You know, they do feel that she's a real person. Most of the time, I feel like she's a real person. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, saying what they want for her, that they want to be a friend, that they want to look after her. You know, people get so invested in the character. Um, And I think that that, that's why I think it's partly the regularity of, of giving the reader not too much time to have to... Go searching for a dozen o- other authors and, and getting that fix of you know a character that, that they really like.
1: Mm, so, writing series is the tip.
2: I think it's it's what's worked for me. Mm. <laughs> so, I'm not sure about the others. I'm not sure about the others, but I think certainly trying to keep a momentum is is you know definitely you know one what one of the strong points.
1: <laughs> and, and your tenacity over the years is is incredible and extremely impressive what what you know a lot of authors will maybe try a couple of books and and then give up at the first hurdle you are perfectly placed to give us some advice if we're struggling to get those first books published what what would your advice be on the on the eve of you selling two million books two million (laughs) (laughs) ebooks
2: really yes two million (laughs) My, my advice would be um definitely never give up because you just never know and, and my story is a testament to those, it says in the article, because, you know, it was a lot of years, but, you know, you just got to keep going. But also, don't forget why you started it in the first place. I think anybody, this is my opinion, only, but if you start to write with the intention solely of getting published because you want to see your name on a book, you want to see the book's on shelves, that's not going to carry you through what can be a long and arduous process. What carries you through is the compulsion to just keep doing it because every book you write, you will learn something new. It's all practice, practice, practice. Um, so, you know, you've got to keep remembering why you started in the first place because if it's just that focus on being published, it, it, it won't pull you through the, the, the dark days you have to remember, I wanted to put words together. I wanted to, you know, I have a story to tell. I wanted, you know, to invent this character. I wanted to, you know, play in this sandpit of my imagination. That's what will get you through because that's always there. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is remembering, you know, what whatever lit that fire in the first place
0: and maintaining that fire. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.